Hello and welcome to Weep Spawn. We talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host, Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode. And in today's episode, we are going to be talking about Dungeon Defenders. And as always, spoilers ahead in case you haven't played this 10 year old game or the <laughs> sequel. <laughs> Yes, so Dungeon Defenders. It's a blend between a tower defense game and an RPG, also known as role-playing game. So, which I actually really loved this blend. We'll talk, get more in depth about, oh, it was just such a good blend. It it took out the boring aspects of tower defense games and turned it into a, just interactive. and It was really fun. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. Very enjoyable, but let me just tell you a little bit about it real quick. So, it was developed by Trendy Entertainment, and the release date is a little unclear. I can't recall 12 years ago, 11 years ago, exactly when it came out. And multiple sources that I've looked up actually say different dates, but the general consensus is that the iOS and Android versions came out somewhere between December of 2010 and March of 2011. So there's like a three-month gap of uncertainty. So I'm thinking that's just because of... They did a lot of like maintenance, I think, in the beginning, so it was up and down a lot. So I think that's really where the discrepancies come from. The Xbox, PS3, and PC versions of the game followed all within a year and a half of the mobile versions. Overall, the game received mostly positive reviews regarding the addictive gameplay, the four-player co-op, and the strategy that was involved. And I think the maps also um, were part of that praise just because the maps helped with the strategy portion of the game. So by default, that's kind of included in there. The negative reviews came from the repetitive nature of the game, since it is a tower defense game, and the lack of variation when it comes to the weapons of choice, the lack of design change when acquiring new armors, and the lack of interest the game provides within single player, which I can agree with, and of course we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, so those were the pros and cons the dungeon defenders one did get a lot of positive reviews it starts to decline later in the series but overall this first game was very successful and by february 6 of 2012 the game sold over 1 million units between steam xbox live arcade and playstation network so within a year they did pretty well for themselves being a uh kind of a risky development honestly because tower defense games are mobile so or yeah or typically mobile games and then crossing with an rpg i feel like it was a very bold move in terms of this game and the one million units were sold between steam xbox live and playstation network that didn't include ios because it was free on ios and android so just between those three systems they they really made a name for themselves right there. And though it may not have sold as high as other games we have talked about in the past, I think it is definitely to be brought to attention. They did make a Dungeon Defenders 2, 
which I have played a little bit of. And I had to say a lot of the, the, well, they didn't fix all the problems, but it was definitely a bigger upgrade from the mm-hmm. original. And like yeah. one big thing is the fact that in the original, you only had four classes. And the second one, I think you have like 12 that you can pick. Yeah, I believe so. And each has their own different characteristic, just kind of like how the original four did. But without getting too involved with uh, the second one, like we said, the game is a tower defense RPG where you are one of four distinct classes. You can choose between Squire, which is a melee heavy hitter, like knight class, the Apprentice, which is the mage class. You primarily shoot from afar. Uh, the Monk, which has both range and melee. And then Ranger, who's just straight range. Kind of like the Mage. But they all have different characteristics and everything, which we'll go into a little bit later. And you are tasked with fending off hordes of invading beasts by strategically summoning a variety of defenses throughout the castle. And like we mentioned in just here in a little bit... Each class has their own defenses as well as their own playstyle. So, I think they honestly with these four though, you had probably a playstyle for nearly every person there was. Mm-hmm. I don't yes. think that was really the issue, but I can see the whole repetitive nature because it was very addicting, and then it's kind of like once you get to the end, and then you have to kind of like start that grind. A little bit that RPG-esque where you kind of like grind and stuff. That's when it gets a little bit more repetitive because unlike an RPG where a lot of times you have an open world. So if you get bored of one area, you can kind of go to another one. You didn't really have that luxury when it came to Dungeon Defenders. Yeah, the close quarters of the maps really limited you on, limited you on what you could do. Because, yeah, like you said... Once you get to the end of the game, there's not much else you can do besides grind for new weapons, get new armor. But even the armor wasn't really rewarding because as some of the critiques were, your armor physically doesn't change in the game when you equip new things. Only thing that changes is your weapon. So you can't really even have that luxury of an RPG game where you start to upgrade. You can physically see your progression because the only progression you have is a weapon, which... It wasn't really that big of a change in terms of most of these characters. But you do have 12 maps to choose from, which was a very nice feature of the game because once you unlock one, I believe you can come back and you can keep playing that map all you want. So you can kind of... They did a really good job at making the maps different. So you could actually have completely different strategies per certain maps. Certain maps would have flying creatures, certain ones wouldn't. So you definitely have to start changing your strategy based on the enemies that would appear in that area. So I really like that portion of the game. And we had our favorites as we went through and we learned which ones we liked the best based on what classes we liked to play. But it was really fun when you got to those maps that kind of forced you to get out of your comfort zone and choose a different class to play a majority of the time it helped keep it a little bit of freshness within the game 
I think. And definitely when we would play online and see like other people's strategies, it would definitely influence us mm-hmm. or how we like specifically played other characters. And as you mentioned, the the armor thing did kind of suck that they didn't have it like change. I could see because the game is the art style is more cartoonish than like realism. So I could see why the armor thing wasn't. And I think that's also one of the reasons why more people were aiming for weapons. And I think weapons were the majority of the drop. Or at least it always seemed to me that weapons were the majority of the drop. Because a lot of people fought in range. Hardly anyone. Even the monk didn't really go in range. Like if you wanted to be close combat, you would be a squire. And that's about it. But one thing I want to praise this game for. Well, you know what? I'm going to save that because I want to save this story for a little later once we get a bit more into the the story. I'll get back to you. But there is one really praiseworthy thing this game did that I wish every game did. But as far as I know, doesn't. Okay, I'm interested to hear it. I don't know if we've talked about this before. We've talked about it in passing, but I haven't specifically pointed this point out for this podcast, but we have definitely talked about it. Okay, well, I'm interested. (laughs) Um, And one thing that I did want to mention since we were talking about the armor not physically changing on your character, one thing they did have to kind of adjust for that was the fact that you could change your character's armor color because you have that base default armor, and then you could customize it to be gold or um, like earthy or gunmetal like type a chroma colors. skin. Yeah, so you could change your character in that aspect, but how often were people doing that? I would rather have like really nice armor rather than having to go in and customize my own character in that way. I also think one of the uh, reasons why it I feel this is one of the games I feel if they didn't already release a second one because the second one because a lot of the problems I had with the first one kind of got fixed with the second one so it's kind of like hard to like say it but like one of the things is the online community back then even in 2010 I mean it's 10 years ago it's kind of shocker to imagine that Mm -hmm. i think this is kind of around the peak or like getting towards that heading the rising of when online play was really popular i'm not saying it wasn't but i feel like at this point fps's were still the main thing like call of duty battlefield i don't there was another fps game that was like going off with it but it was more like it was you versus another person. There wasn't really a lot of co-op online play, I guess, is what I'm trying to get to. The, like, when this came out, you could only do local or you could actually go online and, like, see other people and, like, connect to them. To I feel like that was still not... I wouldn't say new, but this was around the PS3 time if i'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. when online play kind of started to become mainstream because like ps2 
there was some weird connection you could add to get like online, but you had to go like all these adapters and random shit. But PS when the PS3 and Xbox 360 came out, that was when gaming really started to be online gaming. And that was when this came out. So I feel one of the reasons why it wasn't maybe very popular also is it was PvE. There was no PvP. And when online first came out, I think PvP was the most popular. Nowadays, I feel like it's it's kind of balanced out. A lot of people still enjoy the PvP, don't get me wrong. But I think a lot of people also kind of like the co-op-esque of a lot of games now. Like Phasmophobia is a horror co-op game. There's all these other survival co-op games. So I feel if it was released now, it would have been better than if it released how it was released then. I think mm-hmm. it just sucks for them that, like you mentioned, blending these tower defense RPG was a risk, and it paid off for them. I believe the game was successful, but I feel if they saved that idea, obviously it would be hard to save an idea for 10 years, but you know what I'm getting at. Mm-hmm. If right. they took that idea and it was still brand new and put it in now, I think it would have been loads more popular. Not to mention, this game could easily... I mean, they did it in the second one. So that's why I'm saying a lot of this stuff, if you guys ever played the second one, they're like, oh, it's in the second one. But the second one still didn't get that popular. But there easily can be a battle pass, which I know the second one has, or like whatever kind of season pass, whatever they want to call it. And if they just nurtured this game and added more people steadily, added new maps, added new mobs... I think this game could have been severely successful nowadays if they really wanted to make it and like added new stuff to it. Yeah, I actually agree a lot because I like that you mentioned that they could have added mobs and added new stuff. They added or they played the game was released for PlayStation at least um, at a time where updates to the game couldn't be very large so they really didn't have the opportunity to add new like large maps and add new characters and all that they couldn't really push those updates to the players as easily as some of the big names could like call of duty and stuff because they had some massive updates and huge maps and stuff like that but they were at a time where that wasn't readily available for the smaller gaming companies so they really didn't have the opportunity to do that and like you said if it was released now this would be much more successful because they could add new maps they could basically keep the game fresh for a longer period of time and yeah it it definitely would have worked out better although i don't know if if they waited this long i don't know if it would have even been uh though like the market might not have even accepted it just because there probably would have been other things to fill the void in the meantime. So when they got in, it worked for them. I don't know if they physically could have waited longer, but it would have done really well in this climate of video games. I don't know. With Back for Blood just coming out, it's been pretty popular. Like It hasn't taken over... Uh, what what am I thinking of? Battle Royale? I can't believe I, mm-hmm. like, I just completely blanked on that <laughs> term. It's okay, everyone should blank on that (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like, I'm not saying it hasn't got out completely because with uh, Battlefield, 
the new Battlefield and Call of Duty coming out. You also had those FPS. But Back for Blood is essentially, like, I, I'm not going to say, like, Dungeon Defenders because it doesn't have the tower defense. But it's just straight PvE with four-player mm-hmm. uh, four co-op. So I think it would definitely have a place right now with... I hate to say that Battle Royale isn't going down yet. I feel like it's more plateaued. I really wish it was dying down. But I think people are still going to be obsessed with it. I even play some Apex every now and then. So I can't really say I'm completely away from Battle Royale. But I I feel confident in saying it's like plateaued right now. There hasn't... Whether you like it or not, Fortnite literally changed the whole genre. And I think there's only so much Fortnite can do. And I think right now it's at a plateau. And I think... If we get other genre games come in, like if Back for Blood came out, if a Dungeon Defenders games came out, maybe we could have got squeezed in a little bit. So I think right now it actually would have a good opportunity if it came out like right now. Well, in that case, it uh, Dungeon Defenders Awakened came out in May 28th of 2020. Oh, and shit. I did not know that. They did not get very good reviews. Okay, it's, but did they... It's a sti- mixed bag. I was about to say, but did they stick to, like, their core of mm-hmm. what the game was? Or did they try... Like, is it something brand new? So, actually... So, this is a sequel to Dungeon Defenders 2. But uh, I believe time problem. travel's involved. There's another and, flag. Well, hold on. So, they they go back to the old art style of the first game. So it looks very similar, and they bring back old maps as well as add uh, some new maps and areas, and they've added classes involved, different classes. So it's not just the four. They they have a bunch of different classes. So they went back to their roots in terms of the game, and they have a mixed bag of about 69% positive. So it's it's... But they don't have a lot of viewers or a lot of users. Not a lot of people bought it. It's thirty dollars as well, so that's also an issue. I think that's another issue because they went from releasing a free game, which was Dungeon Defenders Two, and then released a thirty dollar game. Yeah, that that's your big problem there. Because do do are you on like the website right now or whatever? Yeah, does it have like a season pass or anything? That. I don't know. Let me check. Um, because I was more referencing if it came out as like a new idea, as in like Dungeon Defenders hasn't happened yet. Hmm. Because I think a lot of review too, because I think it kind of became a niche game that a lot of people will have biased reviews on this newest one. Thinking of like the first and second one, I was more, I guess, referencing. If this hasn't been done yet, this tower defense RPG, like if Dungeon Defenders hasn't existed until now, and then they went with the idea of only having one game and just make it like an Apex or Fortnite type style game where you just constantly update it by adding new maps and stuff, I think would be more successful than just creating Mm -hmm. a game like it is i guess yeah i see that yeah i could see it going well or going better that way and no there is no 
um, season pass. They have a few DLCs, it looks like, or yeah. skins and accessories type things, but nothing like that. Yeah, if it's a game that's going to be for like multiplayer, you can't do a game without any... Like, if you're just trying to make a standalone game, you have to do it as a single player. If you're trying to encourage people... Because I, I feel like the core of Dungeon Defenders is playing with your friends. Mm-hmm. And that's why the first one kind of died out, is because they weren't able to update it like with servers and stuff. Probably because, of, like you said, it wasn't as big of a company as the other ones. But like even so, like a game, Risk of Rain 2, which if you guys haven't heard, it's a solo podcast by yours truly... <laughs> that it's a straight up multi- well you can play single player but straight up multiplayer basically because you it's another four player co-op and before it actually became like an official completed game you just endless looped but they constantly updated it bringing new survivors bringing new maps bringing new items new enemies and they were just focusing on this game and Though it's not big and successful like Fortnite, it has a very dedicated community to it. And it won't go, I don't think will go away anytime soon. There are definitely prominent members in this community. And I even still, I follow them on Twitter and they're still updating the game today. So if it was like a Risk of Rain 2 situation and they did it with Dungeon Defenders, I think it would be the same popularity as Risk of Rain 2. That would be my final say in it, and I, I kind of want to end this discussion about yeah, yeah. all these what-ifs, but that would be my final say on this matter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, towards the very end, when I give our facts, I'll have some facts about something I think they did wrong. Like it, it, I talk, I'm going to talk about the um, all the spinoffs that they have, and I think they did that very poorly, and that didn't help to their reputation as a company. So, yeah, we can move on from this topic, but, yeah, they they weren't the best in managing their um, sequels and prequels. And Now that you said that, I have one more statement, and I (laughs) swear I'll be done and we'll move on. I want to reiterate to everyone, I absolutely absolutely adored this game. I sunk so many hours to it. I had a lot of fun. Do I regret buying this? Absolutely not. Do I look back at it and see that it's not as great as a game as I had in my mind? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what we're going to discuss. But one thing, as you just mentioned that, I feel like they were having an identity crisis as if they, did they want to be a single player or did they want to be a multiplayer Mm -hmm. game? And then they kind of like stretched it out and didn't pick one. And that was a problem. But Mm -hmm. I just wanted to say that. All right. Moving on. (laughs) Before we can get any more. The story. What the whole thing is actually about. Because, yes, there is a story. Like you said, you can actually complete the game. And then it kind of becomes endless as you, like, grind to get better stuff. As the game gets harder and stuff. But when you first start out, you'll have a little narration over it. Where it's like, Etheria once was a land of living legends. Long ago, brave warriors across the realm stood together against an immortal evil known as the Old Ones. In the wake of this struggle, the champions, the Archmage, Knight, Ranger, and Templar, locked away the power of the Old Ones inside Eternia Crystals, 
Recently, the realm's heroes, called to a faraway crusade, have left their younger kin to tend to the castle and its chores. Bored with their dreary duties, and imagining action and adventure, the peoples accidentally unleash an ancient force that has long been dormant. Now these heroes in training will have to grow up quickly. Together, they will defend the internal crystals against those who would seek to resurrect the ancient evils. So essentially, bum, bum, it's bum, bum. just you protect these crystals against the horde, and the reason why they're attacking the crystals is because they want to unleash the power of the old ones. And they're literally called the old ones. There's no other name to it besides the old ones. Yeah. Overall, uh, I feel like they had to give it a story because of the RPG aspect of the game, but they didn't really dive too deep into it just because it's a, and overall it's a tower defense game. And the whole point is to be a tower defense game. They didn't really want to go too in depth with that. I, I don't have anything wrong with that. I think that's fine because this really wasn't a game where you're here for the story. You're here to play and have strategy and all that. It was definitely a game focused primarily on the tower defense and how like best to position your things, what people to use. You weren't really paying attention to the story. Kind of like mm-hmm. any mobile game that you get addicted to. There are some people who enjoy the story, but like for me, most of the time when I'm playing a mobile game, I'm just there for the addicting gameplay and the gotcha. I don't really care too much about the story. Yeah. That's pretty much what this was. Yep, and then they had to add um, a reason for why we had the four classes to choose from. But so Which I think it's fine because I yeah. do like that it gave us some lore into it and everything. So you're kind of not just like, oh, why are we here? Why, like, we're the older people? Why are we these young people? Why are we so mm-hmm. small? Well, it gives you literally everything. So there's really no contradicting to it. It's a, this is another plus I give to the game, even if the story wasn't great. Like, you can't blame it. It's a tower defense game, primarily. But yeah. I think and, the whole RPG aspect really made it fun. Yeah, and one thing I actually liked about this little intro story was the fact that they gave us a reason of why we're weak. Why we have no experience at all. Whereas... If they didn't give the story, I'd be like, why aren't we the adults of this castle? And and if you were, then it's like, why are we weak as hell? So it really gives you a reason to start from the very beginning. So that was one thing that was cool. And really, we jump into the, the gameplay of it, and you start out on the first map, which is called the Deeper Well. It's just kind of like this, kind of like a dungeon. It looks like the lower portion of the castle. We're just kind of defending the waves of goblins that are coming in. And depending on which character you are, gives you a certain line of defenses. So the squire, you have like typical defenses like bouncer blockades, which are just these spiky circular blockades that kind of push enemies back. We have the I don't, the slice and dice, I think is what it's called. It is a spinning blockade, which has swords on the ends of it. We have harpoons, bowling ball cannons, and just things like that to really do some damage. And I liked it because the Squire definitely is all about 
applying damage at all costs, and even his blockades caused damage, which was really cool. So, like, the things that are meant to just hold them off rather than attack, it gave passive damage rather than active damage. So that was a really fun feature of the Squire. Plus, he has the capability of just getting a lot of DPS on his sword. Like, if you go into just his attack damage, it raises much quicker than some of the other characters you can play. So he can have a lot of DPS if you put a little bit of dedication into the attack class. Not to mention, I believe he has the highest health pool, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his health can get massive. I remember, I think, because I played Squire for a while, and I put almost no skill points into speed, and I was all about just DPS and tanking. So I had a massive health bar where I could sit inside groups of enemies and ogres and just slice away. But my DPS was so powerful that I could kill ogres in, like, a few seconds rather than sitting there trying to dodge him and stuff. I would just tank and attack. My downside was I couldn't get to the other half of the map to defend that area at all. Like, it was, I was so slow. By the time I got over there, my other side was already being overrun. So there was definitely some errors in my strategy as a squire. What was... Uh, your favorite class i think i don't know i swapped between a lot but i think the one i played the most was the the apprentice or the mage I believe it was just called the apprentice because like you said we mm -hmm. were like the kids so we specialize in like long range attacks you could get a staff like one of the benefits of using a mage is you could get staffs that actually shoot out like five different projectiles instead of one we had an we did a we were basically a lot of like aoe damage i believe mm -hmm. i would say yeah. is what the mage was we had some good towers but not good blockades our magical blockade was i'm pretty sure was the weakest well there's only really two blockades so yes it was the weakest blockade of all of them but then i like the fact that we had the elemental towers so we had a fireball tower, we had a regular magic missile tower, an ice and an ice and an electric tower. But the only thing that was bad about that were the knight was all physical damage, so it would always be effects. The mage had higher damage, but there could be some enemies that are immune to fire, to immune to ice, immune to electric. So you had to be careful with that. But then you had the magic missile tower that was just basically magic damage that I don't think anyone was resistant to. There may be monsters that were resistant to magic versus physical, but like none that will outright ignore the damage. So like your mm -hmm. magic thing was like your bread and butter of it, but then you had the fireball that was like, well, slightly slower than the magic missile, but did AOE. Then you had your freeze that had short range but a lot of aoe and then your electric that would do like chain lightning damage so the apprentice was all about aoe had high damage output but like low health and defense mm -hmm. even for the turrets themselves but a lot of times because it was range you would just set them on like ledges and stuff so normally you wouldn't get attacked unless you were facing archers or 
the some of the kamikaze mobs that would blow up and kind of do aoe damage to like all the surrounding ones yeah one thing that did suck as you mentioned the resistant mobs one thing that sucked about the mage was if you got a staff that had a specific magic type to it you could become useless against certain mobs which sucked you would have to either have one of your partners come and take care of them or hopefully your defenses were able to take care of them before they got to it and started damaging them so that was one downside to the apprentice one thing i did like or one thing i did when i started playing the apprentice was that i saw the errors of my ways when i did my squire being so slow so i put a lot of skill (laughs) into the speed class and i could zoom through the map so fast but i didn't put enough care into my attack damage so i could get there fast but i couldn't take them out quickly so there was definitely some balancing involved with (laughs) my apprentice so i eventually started to learn the proper ways of character skill balancing but that was a, a fun one, being extremely fast. Yeah, I think that I do remember you just sipping across the map. But yeah, I think there is a fine line where even for the Squire, you do, if you guys ever play this, you do need some base points and speed. Because even if you want to focus primarily as a Squire, as like a tank and absorb the damage, like especially when the boss comes, you still want speed to get to the boss. Because once you get to later levels, multiple bosses will spawn or they will spawn across the map. And if you put all your points in like health and attack and you can't get there, you're not being the very good tank that you set yourself out to be. So just make sure you put some baseline points and speed to where you can get across the map in a relatively decent pace. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And after I started like getting proficient at the Squire and Apprentice classes, I started to adventure out. I never really used the Huntress because... I use the Huntress more than you. Yeah, bows weren't really my thing. So basically every rpg game we've played i never touched the bows or a bow class because i just wasn't about that so i never really played them so i started going with the monk to see what they were capable of and the monk was really cool as long as you were able to um i don't know kind of get the feel for them they had a very unique play style yes monks were actually more useful if you put most of your skills in skill points into tower based skills like more tower health or duration for the monk and tower effect so yeah it was one of those things where you didn't really have towers as a monk you had auras and you could place them down certain auras would slow them down certain auras would burn them certain ones had lightning so it had a magic effect as well but they were never attacked. They have duration rather than health. So mobs would just walk through them as if ignoring them. And they would pass through them and give get the effect that the aura had. And then they would keep going on their way. So you're really the first line of defense for other defenders. Because I don't think the monk was ever there to kill mobs. He was there to weaken them for the towers. So that was a very interesting play style that I wasn't used to, especially since I was used to being a tank 
and having a lot of DPS. Yeah, so, it can almost really think of like a milk like a support hybrid mm-hmm. build. Yeah. Like, your towers were very more supportive, but because of the fact that you could do range and melee, you could, even if you didn't have the speed, you could always be attacking. So, you could very well go straight and be a only focus on attack, so that way you have range and melee, and not worry about auras. So, you could choose, I think, whatever playstyle you wanted to, or you could be a mixed hybrid. I think... It had definitely a more higher skill cap compared to the other ones, but mm-hmm. I think it, it. I think Monk is probably one of the ones you could probably solo a lot of things if you are good with it, because like you said, the auras don't deal damage or doesn't have like you don't have to worry about them breaking. They just have durations. They're very low cost, and mm-hmm. so that was a real plus. Yeah, so it was definitely a unique playstyle. The yeah. The Ranger, or the Huntress, is one I kind of actually started getting into late in my Dungeon Defenders career life. And that's because I, from what I did is I, so how you said, like, you solely built, like, defense. I did that for my Mage Tower, or my Mm -hmm. Apprentice. I put all my points for Mage into Defenses. Because I would primarily use magic towers because I think they did more damage. The only thing you had to worry about were the resistant type ones. But that's where the Huntress comes in. So the Huntress I did solely for attack, attack, damage, speed, uh, health. I don't. I forget the four. I think there was four stats. There was like attack, damage, health. Oh, spell power and speed. I didn't really do spell power. I did primarily attack damage and speed for my Huntress. I was going to be a glass cannon, essentially, with it. That was primarily... If I was playing a Huntress, I wasn't using her buildings. Because her quote-unquote buildings were just traps. They were I was like, going to say, I don't even remember what they were. but Yeah, they I, were yeah. like the explosive traps, uh, a poison trap. I Which kind of sucked, because you would have to constantly replace them yeah, all the time. So what I think, that's why I also went, you could invest in like her spell power too. She had some pretty good abilities. She could turn invisible if she was getting too um, like attacked. So she could turn invisible and then go around killing people. I think the only time I really would use my traps was on bosses. Is when like I saw a boss coming or I knew a boss was going to spawn. I would quickly place it like in front of his path. Because it also had semi-low cost. Because one thing I guess we kind of forgot to mention. Is each level had a building limit. So what we mean by cost is each building would cost like 8 points. Tower defense points. Defense units. Defense <laughs> units. That's what it was called. Thank you. And so like... Typically, the stronger the tower, the more units it would cost. But like we mentioned, auras would usually cost like two or three units, where something like the Slice and Dice that had a lot of health and could deal a lot of damage would be like 12 or 10, something like that. And Mage was kind of like in between around like four to eight. And so the Huntress was also kind of like that, was anywhere between like three to like eight, I want to say. They were relatively low. And so if like a trap got broken and you could use these... You could always set them down to do like good burst damage, and then they would go away because, like you said, 
they only had like three or four charges. You could upgrade that, but I never really did. So it was good for like burst damage if you like absolutely needed to. But I primarily faced my Huntress as just as the actual character. So mm-hmm. I would do the base setup because there was a build phase and an action phase. The build phase, I would be my apprentice, set up all my towers, swap heroes to the Huntress, then go to the action phase. Because once the action phase starts, you can't swap heroes unless you play the second one. But <laughs> in the first one, you can't swap heroes. So that's how I kind of like balance stuff out. Yeah, with with my monk, I really liked to... as. Like I mentioned, I was a support. I like to have it to where I would be a squire in the build phase, set up a bunch of traps, and then, or actually, sorry, I yeah, I'd I'd be a squire, set up all my traps. I'd go to my monk and I'd set up auras in front of all of my traps. So, or not yeah. traps, defenses. So as mobs came and were stuck at my barricades, they were sitting in my aura and getting a bunch of like status effects and i believe the slowdown effect lasted even after they've walked out of the aura i can't remember if that's i think it did for like a second or two Mm -hmm. it wasn't very long but yeah i'm pretty sure like it was like one to three seconds yeah so i liked using them and one great thing about the auras too is you can overlap them i believe So you could have multiple effects happening all at once, and then as they're sitting there, they're kind of just taking damage from the auras and the defenses. So I feel like it was a really good use for my support build. But as you said, the monk was pretty versatile, and he could have been used as a more than just support if I really put the effort into it. But Yeah, the monk could, is definitely the most versatile to where it can literally do anything i think it was more of a jack of all trades so like you could say i think the ranger had the highest dps mm-hmm. the and then the knight obviously had the most health and the monk was just kind of like it could do a knight shop it could do a mage shop it could do a ranger's job it just couldn't excel at one thing but it was right. good at everything I yeah guess. jack of all trades master of none type thing yeah Another so, reason why I think it had a high skill cap. Yeah, most likely. So I, I never, I don't think I really ever got proficient at him, but I think I got the hang of him pretty well. Yeah, because I, I think one of our like bread and butter defense tactics is so each map, as we kind of discuss them, they each have different points in them, and they'll have anywhere between one to four eternal crystals. I think the last one had four, maybe only three, but I think it was four. And you have to, obviously, if you have multiple, you can, do you lose if you just lose one or? Yes. You okay, have to yeah. protect all of them okay, that's equally. What... And the last, um, the, the max was three crystals. Oh, it was only three. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so like early on you have one crystal and they can only have a certain way they can go. The first map had like four ways that you mentioned the, what was it called? The deep, deep deeper well. They had two upstairs and then two that they had to climb stairs. So there was always choke points you could go and gather. Obviously, earlier level, the easier it is because there's less choke points. Excuse me. Sorry, I mean more choke points. And one of our like bread and butter things would be he would be his squire. 
set up the spike barricade because it had the most health and it also damaged melee users who were attacking it. And then I would set up my mage towers and then like a, I think we always did like a spike barricade, a magic, a fire, possibly an ice, or you would put in either your slice and dice or a bowling turret. But then you would also put a slowing and electrified aura because those were each like two or three defense mm -hmm. units. And we had those at like every chokehold. So it was being slowed, being electrified, being hit by magic and fire. And then when they finally got to the barricade to start beating on it, they would also be taking damage to it. So it was a pretty <laughs> OP, well, we thought was pretty strong. Obviously, we had some situation where it didn't work out as well. Or like the, depending on the map, you couldn't just focus too much defense units on one choke point because you would have like eight of them instead of only like three which the first like three or four maps only ha had like three choke points where you really had to defend so that was like our bread and butter thing and then like i said we would set those down and then i would go like huntress or my damage dealing class because i had different heroes i specifically leveled up for their defenses and then other heroes i did for their attack damage yeah yeah so the first couple maps or we didn't really play the deeper well all that much because it kind of was too easy yeah. because they only had the real they had four choke points or they well they had a couple choke points but they only had two that they really could go through to get the crystal there yeah, were some stragglers really, that would go. Yeah, if you really did it, instead of separating the stairwells, you could mm -hmm. basically make it into two choke points. Yeah, so that one was one that, it got too easy for us, so we moved on to Forges and Foundries, or Foundries and Forges, which had three choke points, but uh, three choke points to the crystal, they had multiple choke points throughout and that one was more fun because you could set up layers of defenses and have different strategies for each layer. And I think we liked that one a lot just because it was it started to go intermediate just because they added an extra choke point and there were a couple different areas. And that was good to test strategies out a lot. So that was probably our one of our most time spent uh, when it came to maps. But the other one we enjoyed a lot, and I think we spent a lot of time at this one, was the Magus Quarters, which had eight different entry points for mobs to spawn. There were three choke points for ground mobs, but then there were also two points that, or two or three that flying mobs came into. So while the choke points were easy to have a definitive area of this where the ground guys are coming from, but we, we also had to set up points to attack the flying mobs, which could avoid all of our turrets if not planned correctly. So that one was a really fun one. To just utilize all of the skills that we've acquired. And I I don't know about you, but this was probably my favorite map. Yeah, that was definitely... That was the map we always went to to grind, level up, or anything. Because it had good choke points that you could endlessly do it if you prepared well. And like we did it once where we kind of went afk to see how long we could go <laughs> yeah we wanted to level up i believe yeah we were just we leveling it. up so i think it was definitely the one we spent the most time but going back to that story i mentioned that i was going to talk about earlier it deals with 
foundries and forges. So when we mm-hmm. first originally played this game, we played a demo. Yeah. And during the demo, you can only reach level 10. No matter what character you play, unfortunately, you could not go past level 10. And so we constantly played this level. And the worst part is, like, your mana caps out. So you have health and mana. Your mana you use... Mana is kind of weird in this game because you use it for building, for repairing, for upgrading your structures, and for using your abilities. And you always get mana from dropped enemies or from treasure chests you can find throughout the game after every round has spawned. But when you level up, your mana increases, but there's a cap. And so when you get to like upgrade a tower, it only costs 100 mana. Upgrade to level 2, 200. Upgrade to level 3, I think it was 400. I think it kind of went up like that. Or something very close to it. And you could have up to 5 or 6 upgrades. But like we said, you were level 10. We only could upgrade like 1 or 2 times. And we were always trying to beat foundries and forgeries. We tried like everything. We kept grinding, getting slowly getting better loot. But there was an ogre that came with like 9k health that we'd always struggle to defeat no matter what and so we kept doing this for (laughs) hours playing the same level trying to beat it and this is why i said we really did enjoy this game so we're like you know what the game was only i think like 15 bucks at the time so it was relatively cheap Mm -hmm. we decided to finally buy it and this is the one most praiseworthy thing I can say about this entire game. I know what you're talking about. I loved this. So, like we mentioned, we were stuck at level 10. We didn't think much of it. When we bought the game, every XP we got while we were playing these characters, even after level 10, saved. So when we got here... From hours grinding on this level, we went from level 10 to like level 60 as soon as we bought this game because we had like 10 million experience points because we kept playing this game nonstop. None of our progress from the demo got erased. Everything Mm -hmm. stayed into our account, even the XP we got. Nowadays, when you play a demo, a lot of times it's very separate to the point where it doesn't matter if you reach level 100 it's gone by the time you play it or anything you get in the demo if it's especially like rng jobs you don't get to keep here you kept everything yeah because a lot of times with demos they are actually nowadays especially they're actually separate games from the base game because some people are able to obviously like hack them and get the full game without spending any money because they have the demo whereas I mean, this was probably the case for Dungeon Defenders. I'm sure people managed to do it. It's probably a little more difficult on PlayStation. But the demo was the base game essentially just locked you out of certain aspects of it. So when we unlocked it, yeah, we kept everything. And it was amazing because we jumped so many levels. And at that point, we were way (laughs) under-equipped. For our level. (laughs) Yeah. For our level, we were able to, we had so many skill points that we could use and we could just go on and start getting equipment that was more appropriate. And God, that opened up so many doors for us. It was really nice. And like, obviously we completely demolished foundries and forgeries right after that. And we kept moving on. And I did like that 
in the some of the maps like i think the first one Elka alchemy the alchemy lab the mm-hmm. alchemical laboratory yeah the that was the first time you fought like a boss monster and mm-hmm. when you got that you got a sweet loot for whatever character you were currently playing and it was like a monster drop so it felt nice and you it scaled with your level so you could always come back but you have to remember it's a a first boss so like it would be different than I think it was Castle, the Throne Room, that mm-hmm. was the second boss, and so if you fought, if you instead wanted to grind here, you would get better loot than the alchem, the alchemy one, and so it was cool that they added like bosses, and then the final one was at the what was it, the, the castle, summit. the summit, and I think though, if I had to say, was it Royal Gardens? Yes. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was probably pretty the worst. close to a favorite. <laughs> well, that was also a fun one, but like, I think the first few times, it looked oh, like yeah. there were so many choke points that we didn't know where to defend. But like, if you mm-hmm. actually just calmly looked at it, there wasn't that many. But yeah. it was still a hassle. Oh no, the one I hated the most, servants' quarters. Oh, I loved servants' quarters. I would get Um, lost at where to go because there were so many levels mm -hmm. in this, as in, like, up and down. And then, like, there's some spots you could jump up and others you couldn't, and I would forget which ones I could. So I would spend (laughs) so long trying to get to a certain area that the mobs would die or be I'm like, fuck this place. I hated (laughs) Servant's Quarters. Servant's Quarters was probably my least favorite. The Throne Room was actually, I think, was pretty fun. That was hard. But I think it was pretty fun because there wasn't yeah. a whole lot you could do if there was like people up top to defend. But mm-hmm. I think that was a good balance of uh, not yeah. many choke points because it was very open, but like still enough that if you did it right, you were you were fine. Yeah. So when it came to the Royal Gardens, like you said, I've. That was a frustrating one. It was hard, but I really liked it because of the strategy involved because the main crystal had four spots that the mobs could come in from and the two side crystal had three spots. So it was actually really hard to defend those and that's not including the flying yeah. uh, mobs that came. When it came to the servants quarters, I really liked that one because it actually wasn't too crazy when it came to choke points. There were Four at the main crystal, which some well-defended areas, if like if you put up some proper barricades, was fine. And then the other crystal had three, which compared to the Royal Gardens is much easier to defend. So I really like that one just because it was, it was a very twisty-turvy course, too. So there was a lot of back and forth, and you could like hit them multiple That's times. That's what I hated. Oh, I like that part of the... I'm just so directionally challenged, it goes into the game, (laughs) and that's why I hate it. Fair. Fair enough. Uh, And then when it came to the throne room, I really liked that just because of the openness, because all the others had a lot of choke points. This one didn't because of the openness. So I think our strategy was the the two crystals were really close to each other, so I think what we used to do, would we would block them in with barricades and weapons, like defenses and then we would line the the 
few choke points that there were, we'd line those with traps, and then we'd kind of defend our little bunker that we created, and that seemed to work well for us. Yeah, we kind of lined it up with a staircase, so the people up top and down below would have to go to the staircase. We usually had, like, slicing dices near mm-hmm. there, and then the thing, so... The people who were coming down from the staircases had to deal with that, and then on the hallway we'd have other towers. So we'd mo- the problem mostly came was when archers, fucking, yeah, archers would be coming on the staircase instead of going to route because <laughs> the eternal crystal was like slightly above the st- this like descending staircase. They could just sit at the top and shoot at it. So we'd see eternal crystal under attack, and we'd look and be like, "There's nobody How? there." <laughs> And then we'd see an archer, and we're like, fuck. And then we would put some like anti-flying units in the middle of our barricade in that spot because there were flying units, surprisingly, in this throne room. So, yeah, it was open. It had its balance of you could easily kind of defend it because they were right next to each other, but then you had to, you just had to be very wary of like what enemies were spawning and everything mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. The oh, ramparts was a, a fun one to defend. I don't ramparts. think I really ever had trouble with the ramparts. Mm. It, I think yeah, it was one, it was I think it was the lack of entrances for the creatures. Yeah, it was mostly it like easier. you had to worry I feel like this one it was more you had to worry about air than like land. Because there mm-hmm. was because like one, two, three of the four choke uh the entrances literally have one choke point that you can defend and it blocks like half of them so you had literally one two three choke points you can defend that weren't even near your crystal and they you would have the high ground too so like even if it got destroyed you could set your choke point so far away from the crystal that even if it got destroyed, you could easily defeat whatever enemy was there and rebuild your stuff without even your uh, the crystal dealing damage you mostly just had to worry about flying units mm-hmm. yeah that one was a fun one just for the fact that it wasn't too terrible to defend i it think it was my least... to, um place some traps because yeah. i like making I, I like watching when when you can all funnel them down one hallway and then just watch them perish so that's mm-hmm. why i liked it so one map that i really hated was the endless spires because it was all choke points which sounds good in theory because we're talking oh choke points are great but it was so narrow that you could only get like one or two defenses in the path so then you couldn't get as many um as much attack damage in while they were destroying a barricade it was kind of they were destroying a barricade while getting hit by one or two things and then they would move on to the next one and they would just keep destroying it so there wasn't a whole lot of opportunity for putting massive damage on them right away until they got really close to your crystals and then they could spread out because their crystals were slightly separated so it was really hard to kind of get the damage you needed before they got to the crystals so if they got through your defenses at the crystal you were in a kind of bad situation I think it was easier to defend the two crystals that were near each other because mm-hmm. they had two sets of staircases, so you can make two separate choke points. Yeah. But if you wasted too much defense units on that one, 
you had to worry about the other one. But the thing was, it was hard. The one thing that sucked about this was the units that would come to the right on the staircase. Sometimes they would go to the left to the two crystals. Sometimes <laughs> they would go to the right to the mm-hmm. other crystals because yeah, they were like never so even. It. So yeah, it was hard because like, should I put a choke point here or should I focus on the four entrances that are coming to the lone crystal or the three entrances that are coming to the two crystals? So right. it very much spread out your defenses. But you there were like you said, there was a lot of choke points. So if you wanted to make smaller things to like block them. And then, I guess, repair almost after every round. Instead of making one big choke point, you could do that, too. It was all dependent on, like, your play style. If you wanted to primarily focus on the big defenses, or if you were fine with running around and being like, okay, my defenses will take care of these choke points. All I have to do is my character will focus on this choke point, which, again, would be easier for your co-op. So you can mm-hmm. literally be like, oh, we're going to block off the two crystals, and then us heroes will personally block off this one lone crystal. So Right. It was and, yeah, fun because you got to ex- explore a lot of different yeah. strategies. And I think that's also one of the reasons why this game is much more successful as a co-op game rather than a solo game, because they didn't really focus on making it compatible for a single player they made it compatible for multiple people for at least four people or at max four people because playing solo it was much more difficult to manage all the choke points and just running around the map trying to repair any defenses that got damaged and stuff it was it was much more tower defense than rpg as a solo player because you're so focused on fixing your towers and your defenses that you don't really have the opportunity to play as an RPG game. So I think that's where the, the downsides come in for this game when it, uh, as a sing, as a solo player versus a multiplayer game, it definitely only focuses on one aspect, which isn't terrible. It just makes it a little more less. It makes it a little less appealing to the regular single player game gamer. Which, I mean, if you're the type that really likes challenges, this could actually be really fun for you. Because you could be like, oh, this could bring your strategic mind to its utmost limit. Because you're like, all right, how do I defend all these choke points? And my character themselves, like, oh, you have to look and figure out where the bosses are going to spawn. What defenses should go where and prioritize it. So it can still be very rewarding if you beat it solo but i feel like this game was very more casual than competitive Mm -hmm. and so i think what could have been fun is if you could have added ai to be your like partners even if they weren't the greatest ai like just to have some even if they were literally used as cannon fodder yeah i think it would have been slice and dice people up yeah or at least just and, delay the enemies. I think that would have made it a lot more better. And, like, you could choose, like, do you want, like, so if you were a knight, you could have Squire, I mean, the apprentice, the monk, and the huntress as AIs. You could have all three to fill up your thing. Or you could only have one. Like, I think it would have been cool if you could have yeah. chose like that. Especially and it once also the would server have, shut down. It also would have been cool if you could select, like, 
yes, they can set up towers, or no, they couldn't set up towers, or maybe a limit. They only can use this many defense units. So that you might be able to get a variety of different defenses without having to swap to a different class. So that would have been nice. And maybe the AI could try to focus on choke points or something. I don't know, something to just... Been, I feel like that might have been a little hard, and you might end up getting a random ass barricade somewhere mm-hmm. and you're like what the fuck what is this True. doing here but then, and get more angry i was gonna say but then maybe you have the op- option to sell their barricades and get the mana from it so i mean I you know. could sell you can't you even sell your friend's barricade i can't remember sure. i think you i'm could. pretty sure we could because we fucked around with each other like that yeah and i think we got really pissed when we went into an online game and someone sold oh, all yeah. of our shit and then put up his shit and we're like uh uh-huh. yeah so then I think we sold all of his shit and then left the game. Yeah. I, I with, with his mana. That. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we were, God. We, hey. If you're going to be an asshole, we can do it too. I was about to say, we never went to random peoples and did that. We only no. did it because we were already pre-set up. Like, if he was already adding stuff at another ch- choke point, completely different story. But the fact that we had it and, like... <laughs> We would have a fire tower, and he would sell it and put his fire tower there because he, yeah, he wanted, wanted that. The XP. Yeah, we're like, no, you joined yeah. us. Like, yeah, it's like go play a solo game if you're gonna do that. If you're trying to hog all the XP, go to solo. You joined us, and yeah, there, there's should have been some courtesy involved. And so yeah, maybe... when he fucked with us, we're like, it's 2v1, bro. <laughs> Good luck. Yep. And we were already at like wave 20 or something. So we were getting a high XP. We sold everything and I'm pretty sure he died within minutes. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. God, that was we had some good times in this game. But yeah, so there were definitely a lot of ups and downs with this game. I think I think what you mentioned earlier, the whole repetitiveness, the whole armor doesn't change. I think it also, like I said, this was definitely a smaller company that made this. So I think overall it was a very successful game. I absolutely adored this game. I don't regret paying 15 bucks for this or 20 bucks, whatever I spent with it because we had so much fun. I even have, I don't know where it is, but I have a notebook that I got. Like there was one time I was getting really serious about foundries and forges. <laughs> I drew out the map. I started placing turrets, looking at defense units, trying to find out the most efficient way, looking at the DPS of all my towers, what I had available. I was literally trying to figure out the most efficient way to use all the towers to have the strongest points. It was a Damn. great time <laughs> in my life. Do I think a lot of nostalgia and like of it is clouding? Well, I don't say clouding because I know it's not the greatest game of all time, but when it came out, it was an absolute legend of a game. There was a lot of people. I remember even if you guys are a big YouTuber, you might know Captain Sparkles. He has like 10 million people. He was primary. He is still primary Minecraft YouTuber, but he even played this game and got addicted to it. So, And this was still when he had like 5 million subscribers. He was still pretty popular back then. So wasn't that this game didn't have its popularities. It definitely had its ups and downs. We discussed a lot of the problems, but I want to reiterate it for a fact that I thoroughly enjoyed this game and I still give it a, I would still give it a positive review. Just not the greatest game of all time. I think it is a good game. Yeah, I would agree. 
definitely if I played it now, I probably wouldn't be able to play it for very long. But back when I did enjoy kind of grindy ish games, I would definitely rate it very high. Now it's pretty lower, pretty low on my list, but still really enjoyed it. A lot of nostalgia. Definitely um, not upset that I played it. And that will about wrap us up for today. My question of the day to you guys would be, what is your, how did you guys play your heroes? Like when you played, if you guys played this, like I mentioned before, a lot of mine was the mage for turrets for, I would upgrade them more for their turret capabilities and then I would play the hundreds for damage. That was my go-to combo of playing. Yeah, and mine was basically, uh, I played Squire for a large majority of the portion that I played, and then I switched to the Apprentice, and then eventually I switched to Monk. So I had a quite a weird play style. I, I jumped around a lot, but yeah, I'd say Squire was probably my heaviest class. Yeah, you definitely played the Squire the most. Which was nice because I played a lot of glass cannon, so it was mm-hmm. nice to have a, a tankier character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right, let's uh, sign out with some facts. So, as I mentioned, that this game was created by Trendy Games, but they are now actually known as Chromatic Games because they had a buyout in March of 2016, and they got their name changed, which. I'm kind of confused on the buyout because, oh, I guess it's investors bought them out, which is weird. I don't know. They only have three games under their belt, and that is Dungeon Defenders 1, 2, and Awakened. So I don't really know if the buyout was the smartest idea, but whatever. They were bought out. They are now known as Chromatic Games. And through the lifetime of Dungeon Defenders, there were quite a few different versions. They had Dungeon Defenders First Wave, which was originally the mobile version. And then they had Second Wave, which again was for mobile, but they revamped the game with new controls and a new interface, which didn't do as well as they hoped. They got some uh, bad reviews, I believe, on Second Wave, probably because people don't like change. So it's kind of some backlash on that. And then they had Dungeon Defenders Eternity, which was available on Steam, but received negative reviews due to the encouragement of microtransactions and the lack of single-player availability, and was eventually pulled, and it stopped being sold. So now we just have regular Dungeon Defenders. And then they had their sequel, which was Dungeon Defenders 2, which has a lot of positive reviews still, and this one is actually free-to-play, and they do in-game transactions for it. But I believe you can still unlock everything through hard work, I believe. I was playing it and struggling to unlock a certain character that I really wanted, the Necromancer. And it's just like your standard. They have like, I don't know if it's a battle pass or like a quest you can do. But it's just like your standard battle royale kind Mm -hmm. of pass where... You could pay 10 bucks to get the in-game currency and buy it right away, or you could work hard on your quest and beat missions for like 10 hours and get it for free. Yeah, so they kind of uh, fixed the errors of their ways. Instead of encouraging microtransactions, it was more of, hey, here are some microtransactions, but you can still get it without them. And then Here's finally, the shortcut they... route. Yeah, yeah. 
And then finally, they had the sequel to Dungeon Defenders 2, which was Dungeon Defenders Awakened, which returns to the original look of the first game and then even returns to some of the old maps, as I mentioned a little bit earlier. So, yeah, there's they have quite a bit of um, uh, quite a few versions of this game. And not all of them were for the best. And then something that you and I, Bobby, have not experienced because they did not bring this to council. But in the original game, they had eight additional heroes that were added based off of, or as, of, through DLC. And this was the Barbarian, the Series EV, the Summoner, the Jester. And they had these like counterparts to the original four classes, which was the Adept which was the squire's counterpart. They had the countess, which was the hunter's huntress's counterpart. Are you sure it wasn't oh, no, the no, no. rangers? It was... Or the apprentice? Um, Sounds like it would be apprentice. Yeah, it, I think it was the apprentice's counterpart. They had the ranger, which was the huntus, huntress's counterpart. And then they had the initiate, which was the monk's counterpart. That's what it was. And then, so these classes, we had really no idea that they existed because they never brought these over to council and when they were asked the developers claimed that the patch would be too large because of the limitations on the council and they would need to restructure the game in order to do it which would not be possible so what were the do you know what the counterparts were like i do not um if i had a guess from the names the adept looks like it would be someone that uses like a rapier and was more a little squishier than like the knight, but had faster attack. Countess, honestly, I the immediate thing I thought of because I'm thinking of in terms of like magic was like a charmer. Oh yeah, basically like uses like charm magic almost because uh, it's a countess, so it should be female. Would be my assuming mm-hmm. because. If it was a male, it would have been a count. So I feel like it would almost be like a succubus type character. Is honestly my first thought. Rangers, I feel pretty self-explanatory. Instead of maybe a crossbow, it was like a bow. Maybe it was a little slower, but deal more damage. Maybe actually had like snares and stuff for traps instead of just blowing up stuff. The initiate, the, the counterpart I was thinking of for Monk was like a Templar. So instead of using like a staff and magic, it would have used like it would have been like a paladin. So where Mm -hmm. instead of the spells to damage enemies, it would have been like to heal you. That would have been my guess from just reading these names. Okay, so I I pulled them up real quick from the uh, Dungeon Defenders fandom wiki. And so I was wrong. The Countess is the counterpart to the Squire. She moves 20% faster, but casts 20% slower. Her base health is 20% lower. However, she gets more health per stat point than the Squire. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Um, Then we have the Adept, which is the Mage's, the Apprentice's counterpart. We had those two. Yeah. She moves and casts faster than the Apprentice, but has less health and the least amount of health out of all the hero classes. The ranger we got correct. He is the huntress's counterpart. He has more health but moves slower. His weapon damage scales with hero damage slightly better than his female counterpart. That I was actually pretty similar to. Yeah. 
And then the initiate is counterpart to the monk, as we've said. And compared to the monk, the initiate moves faster and casts faster, but has less health. And it shows in her picture that she's holding like a halberd type situation. Nice. So basically, besides the ranger, they're just faster. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And the health and, is slightly different. And they can... Well, no, the counters... Did it say your spell was reduced by 20%, but you increase... You have better health increase over time? Yeah. Okay, so... Yeah. But most of them, it's like, oh, their counterparts will make you faster, literally, like, because the... Mm-hmm. The adept and initiate do spells faster, walk faster for the cost of health. Countess has lower health, moves faster, but because instead of making spell faster because they didn't want it to be the same cut and paste, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, we'll be slow, but you'll eventually have more health than the knight. Yeah. And then the, they did like the reverse because the ranger was already, or the huntress was already a speedy person. They're like, we'll get you slower, but more damage. Yeah. So, basically, there wasn't a whole lot of change between these two. I think they basically just wanted to to give the male-female counterpart of each character. Fun fact, most of these classes made it to Dungeon Defenders 2. Oh, really? The bar- Barbarian. I remember seeing the Barbarian, the Summoner, and I'm pretty sure the counterparts, besides maybe the Countess, but I'm pretty sure I remember seeing Adept, Ranger, and initiates but i'm not 100 percent sure on all of them but i'm pretty sure i remember seeing adept and ranger but i know for sure there was the barbarian summoner and i think there was a series ev equivalent um but yeah a lot of those dlcs did make it to dungeon defenders too because <laughs> i believe there's a summoner and a necromancer i believe they're different and i wanted to be the necromancer gotcha well i there you have it (laughs) yeah so um that is about all that we have today so don't forget to show us some love and support on patreon.com slash weepswan and of of course don't forget to follow us on facebook instagram and twitter at weepswan and you can contact us at at weepswan at gmail.com that'll be all from us from today i've been your host bobby and i'm joshua and we will see you guys next time when we weep spawn (laughs) 